Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they are involved in their communities. If you want to be involved in the podcast and get behind the scenes content about each episode, you can head over to patreon.com slash growing democracy OH. You can. And so the intro today for this episode is a little weird because we are recording it way after recording the actual episode. Yeah. Intentionally. Intentionally. <laughs> when if we sound sad about it, that's because we're I think we're disappointed in yeah. the results. Yeah. This episode is about labor organizing and unions. So you probably can guess why we might feel a little frustrated and sad in this moment if yeah. you're keeping up with the news. Yeah. So uh, there was a, a vote that came uh, that we found out about today. Today it came out, the official vote, uh, April 9th, that the uh, laborers at the uh, warehouse in Amazon uh, in Alabama voted not to unionize, which... Uh, you know, we, we don't know, obviously, why why individual folks voted the way that they did. But we do, we, you and I, I think, are probably pretty keenly aware <laughs> yeah. of the power of organizing uh, in labor and the, the various motivations and reasons for doing that. And so we were kind of holding off to see the results of that, to be able to talk about it in the intro. Yeah. And... And I think that kind of starting this way and kind of the the disappointment, I think that, it, you know, it's obvious in our voices and in the way that we're talking about it and really will be juxtaposed with the the excitement, I think, that you hear in our guests' um, discussions about the power of unions and, the, and, and collective action um, that they've experienced, both on the side of being a labor organizer um, and the side of being a member leader as a part of the union um, and, and the ways in which um, those two kind of roles and identities come together, but also the power that they feel um, as being a part of a union. And I, and I think that, I think that really kind of the juxtaposition between like the sadness and the intro and the way that we talk about it and the, and the power of um, labor organizing and unions um, as a kind of form of civic and political engagement, or as a, as a part of uh, civic and political engagement, I think is a, an important kind of piece to, to this episode's puzzle. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and I think our sadness probably stems from that, you know, part of it is that, you know, it, recording the episode and, and recognizing the empowerment that yeah. workers, you know, achieved through, um, through the act of unionizing that they felt empowered in their workplace and that that led to empowerment in other spaces. Yeah. Um, and that we were just really hopeful that, uh, that folks, uh, you know, uh, in Alabama and maybe, you know, a, a, a tidal wave of other places would get to feel that kind of empowerment. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. so I, I just, I still think though that, uh, that our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode and who knows, maybe, you know, there, there's more unionizing to come.
All right. So with us today, we have Kathy Curley-Jones. Kathy is a lifelong resident of Cleveland, living in the Union Miles neighborhood. She's been a member of the SCIU Local One as a janitor at Cuyahoga Community College for seven years. She's a strong leader in the union, serving as a steward and organizer, organizing member at her site and beyond. In addition to her union organizing and activism, Kathy is the proud grandmother of 19 and great-grandmother of three. Camilo Villa is also with us, and Camilo has been an organizer with SEIU Local 1 for 10 years. He's worked in many capacities for SEIU, including contract fights, issue campaigns, political campaigns, new organizing, and strikes. Originally from rural Ashtabula, he lives on the west side of Cleveland with his family. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having us. So uh, we like to start every episode, obviously. We just read your bios. <laughs> but that, that's just a snippet about you guys. Could each of you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm Camille. I'm, um, I'm an organizer with uh, SAA Local 1. You know, I've been um, involved in organizing and politics and activism for most of my life. Um, you know, that's the environment that I was raised in. Um, and now I think I've really uh, found my home in the labor movement. So, you know, I, I, uh, I'm happy to be here because I think there's it's always a good when we have the opportunity to talk about our work and, you know, help folks understand um, what it means, what we mean by the labor movement and, you know, what we think it means for uh, the broader community and for our country. So, um, yeah, that, that's me. I guess I, I got um, two dogs and a cat and now two kids. My, my, my new one's uh, two and a half weeks old. We're almost three weeks old, so um, that's kind of been my main main focus right now is that. But um, I'm looking forward to getting back into into our work as well. And how about you, Kathy? Me? Well, I missed the that we used to have, but because of the pandemic, we're not allowed to have you know union meetings and stuff that we used to do with the union. We can't do anything, so I missed the union activities and friends in the union office and everything but yeah the union is still going strong everybody's glad that we have a union because it fights for us and if we didn't have the union it would probably be messed up yeah i mean full disclosure uh ashley and are both members of our aaup union so <laughs> and in fact i just got off a two-hour meeting uh with our union today so <laughs> We hear you. I miss seeing them in person. Yeah. Um, so actually, can I start with you, Camilo? Can you tell us a little bit about SEIU? Like, what is the union? What do you all do? Yeah, well, um, so SEIU is one of the biggest unions in the country. Uh, it's Service Employees International Union. And, you know, that's a pretty broad title, I think, and, and that encompasses a lot of work, um, a, lot of, a lot of industries and a lot of different types of work. We've got about 2 million members. Um, and actually, this year is uh, the 100th anniversary of the founding of SEIU. 
Um, it was founded by primarily immigrant janitors in Chicago, um, which made Chicago SEIU Local One. So it's our international union's um, anniversary, but it's also our locals' anniversary because here in Cleveland, we're, we're, we're part of the big local out of Chicago. So hopefully... Um, we'll be celebrating our anniversary in person at some point later this year. But SEIU, we, I think we have sort of three main industries uh, with some additional stuff, but the three big ones are public sector, all kinds of administrative work um, in, in many different capacities. Healthcare, uh, which can be long-term home care, nursing homes, hospitals really runs the gamut depending on what part of the country um uh we're in um and then property services which is our industry uh we're we're our locals are mainly separated by industry so local one uh focuses on work done in and around properties and buildings for the most part so here in cleveland that primarily is janitors in other parts of the local and the country, um, it includes a lot of security officers of commercial office space and other things. We have some security officers here in Cleveland, um, and then maintenance of uh, like maintenance of some buildings and engineering. Though that's a you know as buildings evolve and modernize, that's a you know we don't have boiler operators anymore because buildings don't have boilers for the most part. Um, then we've got we've got some other things too. We've got Akron Public Schools. We have a bunch of members there, um, and some other school districts in uh, Summit County. And so we've got uh, uh, food service in the Akron Public Schools, for example. That um, is actually our it's a it's a seventy or so person unit. It's our it's our only that I know of all women unit. Which uh, you know what comes along with that? We we recently had to really fight to bring them up to a, a higher pay, and I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, we, and then we've got you know some some manufacturing here and there, but really our our the the, the bread and butter of SEIU Local One is janitors. Um, that's that's who started SEIU, and that's that's what keeps us running, and that's who the like the backbone of our membership is. Fantastic. So, Kathy, I have a quick question for you. When we were reading your bio, uh, you know, we we talked about you being an organizing member of SCIU and involved for a, a while. What does it mean, for, especially for our listeners, to be uh, kind of a member leader or a member organizer within the union? What is that? I don't just so that we all understand kind of the differing roles between the organizer and the member and all of that. Well, basically, I'm like the walking. Um, contract, well, the negotiated contract, the union book, basically when they get in trouble, whatever, I go in the office with them and represent them with the supervisor so they won't get in trouble and try to keep them from getting in trouble. And I try to help them with different programs that I find out to help the members. So, you know, like the utilities, the water, or whatever I can do to help them. I put myself out there because I consider them my family, my second family, third family, part of my family. And they come to me with any and every kind of thing that you would think of and ask me to help them with. So, you know, they have my number. They know where I live, give them rides, whatever. I would just say Kathy Sellen, a little bit modest there. You know, she's also um, a leader in our political work. 
you know, out, outside of the, the, the walls of her job. But, um, you know, most importantly, I think the role of our of our member leaders is to educate and activate our membership. So, you know, Kathy is the one who's bringing people out to rallies, who's coordinating with them, make sure that they know what's going on, you know, what we're fighting for, um, be, uh, you know, on beyond what's going on just in the job. Now, Kathy, I'm curious, what kind of sparked for you? Um, joining a union. Uh, so presumably you didn't you know, become employed in your current job because you thought I'll, this will be a good way for me to join a union, right? So what was it that kind of sparked for you? This is, I want to be a, a member of this union. Well, see, no, actually my other job that I had for 24 years that closed, I was in the union and there was the auto workers union and that union I don't know if I was supposed to say the name or whatever, but it was not as good as SEIU. I experienced higher union dues, but they really didn't fight for you. You know, they every now and then they might give something for the people, but basically they just took our money. And if we had a grievance or whatever, we might win and we might not win. They didn't really do anything for us. That's how I feel. They just took our money. And he just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then when I got the job where through my daughter at GCA, then it switched over and whatever, whatever. The union was there. And so I got involved because, you know, I knew about the union. And the lady that was the union steward, she went to a different branch. She went to a different campus. And she said, yeah, Kat, why don't you become a union rep here at... Metro. I'm like, oh, okay. So I did, and I enjoy it. I like everything that the union does and provides for us because it helps us, and it's like a security blanket. Whereas, like, if I don't know anything, I call Camilo and ask Camilo, Camilo, don't just go like this. And he say, yeah, Kathy, and it goes like this, and so I make sure I tell them the right things. Well, I think what it is, and then I usually I'm right, but I just want to make sure I word it right, so I'll, what if I to be in no trouble? So the union, to me, is part of my family, and they look out for us, and, you know, like I said, different programs, they try to help us, and I tell them everything they tell me. I tell them in plain English so they understand. So they trust me, so they trust the union. And, yeah, they like it. And so when we have stuff, they come. If they can, they come. And if we have rallies, they come. But sometimes it be cold, so I can only get a couple. But if it's nice, I might get, like, maybe... 10 maybe and then my sister she's at a different one she tries to get people but yeah so it's basically part of our family so now uh, camille union representation though uh, this is not a secret has been declining in this country for for a long time can you talk to us about really the importance of union why they're uh, really vital for workers, and so what this decline has meant for workers and their their ability to you know gain and maintain rights. Yeah, well, I I, I could probably talk endlessly about that, but I think that you know I don't know where uh, in the audio format, but the clearest depiction of um, why union being ha- having unions in our economy matters 
is a very simple chart that shows the decline of uh, union density in our country with the decline of workers' share of income and worker share of profit from the companies and they track exactly right from like the 70s when the real start of union decline of unions started and to now and it is it is a nearly identical line and we you know what it what it means is that when unions have been i mean unions have been under attack um well i guess you know it's 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 the, the Mark said something about like the history of um, history here until now is is the history of class struggle and that's and that's absolutely true and so sometimes we're winning and sometimes we're not and so the working class in this country has has been under attack from capital since forever and in the last five decades or so uh, the working class has not been winning. And the result of that has been a lower share of um, income, lower share in the the, the production um, that workers create, um, the, the value that workers create, and increasingly, not just in terms of what people make and what people take home and what people share of the economy is, we're seeing an increasing level of precarity of among workers, where even if the even if someone has a good paying job with health benefits and and what have you the likelihood that they'll have that job tomorrow has gone down significantly and so you know what what where unions need to be focusing on is 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 building a movement of working of the working class to gain more control over uh over the economy and more control over the means of production and and what that means for uh working people now Kathy, I'm curious, do you think that uh, the folks that you work alongside of, do they see, I mean, obviously they have a personal relationship with you and they they trust in that personal relationship. Do they have the same level of connection with the union? Do they see the union as a, a protective barrier or as a partner in helping them uh, gain and maintain rights? Yes. Yes, they do. Because what he was talking about, too, the union helps with the job security, whereas if you don't have a union, okay, like our job, we have a grace period. Some jobs don't have a grace period, and so then that time counts against you, so you might lose your job because you was late, because they don't have a five-minute grace period. The union usually, jobs usually have grace periods because they know the weather, the traffic, you know, anything, you get stuck. So it's a grace period. The other jobs, is no job security. They can get rid of you for anything. They can send you home. Oh, you come on the bus. Like I used to work somewhere. I would leave home two hours early to get to work on time. And I was late a couple of times because of transit. So that means I lost my job because I was late twice and they didn't have a grace period. Whereas with the union, it has a grace period and you know, you don't get fired right then and there. They have where you get points or whatever, so many, or write-ups or whatever, but you get warnings and write-ups and whatever. And then if you continue or whatever, so many, then you get fired. You know, with the jobs not having a union, they can get rid of you for any reason. Oh, you're late. Oh, 
you didn't make enough production or whatever with the jobs not having a union they up the production and make it harder for the workers but they want you to produce but they don't want to pay you they say you don't need the money and i've experienced that before too but it all comes down to the security. The union fights for the individual to have what they need to support themselves and their families. Without the unions, it's all about profit for the companies. They don't care about the employees because you're just a number. With the union, they look out for you. You're like an extended family member. And so they want you to succeed, but the company just looks out for the bottom line, the profit, and that's all they're worried about. They don't care if you're sick. Okay, you're sick. You didn't come to work. Okay, well, you missed two days. You're fired. Yeah. We get sick days, and if you're sick, you take off. Before, in our contract, we negotiated that if you missed three days in a row, then you had to get a doctor's excuse. Before that, you couldn't call off sick. I think maybe you had one sick day, but if you sick, you had to go to the doctor. And it wasn't supposed to be like that, but when we did the new contract, we made sure that if you missed three days consecutively, then you had to go to the doctor and get a doctor's excuse. So the union would fight for you. But without that, like with COVID, how many people caught COVID and lost their jobs? Or when COVID came, everybody lost their jobs. People who still worked, but the company did not put in their will. You can't, if you're sick, don't come to work and you won't lose your job. People lost their job because they caught COVID. Yeah. The job security is not there. The union provides job security and other things that the employer doesn't give. Some employers don't give benefits, they don't give retirement. They don't give vision. They don't give anything. All you get is a paycheck. So you have to take the little bit of money that you earn from your paycheck to get everything that you need. And it's not going that far. That's why we have to fight for 15. They, everybody needs the $15. Even if you get $2 this year and maybe, you know, as you go up to $15 within two, three years, at least you're getting something to help provide for your family. The union is trying to do that because I've been on rallies and marched and protests for the fight for 15. So I know people really need it. The yeah. union is there to help everybody. And, and I, I would just add to that, too. And, and I think Kathy's kind of alluded to it, talking about the union as a as sort of a family and that the union is not something that's apart from the the, the members of our union we don't we don't exist as as something separate because a, a union is an organized group of workers and so you know that's that our all union strength derives from the power of of our of our workers um of our members being organized as workers so you know the the effectiveness of that can vary but we know that we are going to be the most effective organization when our membership is empowered um, and that we are going to see better results, as Kathy was talking about. I mean, that's, you know, that's why leadership like Kathy's is so critical, because without leaders in work sites, unions cannot build power. So um, I have a question for you, because I think this speaks to the kind of the, I don't know, maybe opposition is the right word, the opposition's rhetoric, <laughs> uh, right? So you all are talking about unions as family, as a collective. 
as a place to remind corporations that we are human <laughs> and, and we show up as humans to our jobs. On the flip side, um, opposition to unions on, in, in legislation is often labeled as right to work. In what ways is kind of the terminology of right to work, you know, misrepresenting union representation? Right to work is part of a sort of superstructure of policy and, and tactics by the right wing to disenfranchise workers and dismantle worker power. And, you know, what right to work says is you shouldn't have to be part of a union to um, work at, at a given job. But it's this focus on individualism over democracy. And what unionizing is about is about bringing democracy into the work site. And so it's not undemocratic to have to be a part of a union and participate in um, the union on the job. But what I think is really important when we're talking about right to work is understanding where it comes from and why it exists. So right to work came out of the South because um, leadership in the segregated South realized that the biggest threat to their power was black workers and white workers uniting around class interests and setting aside racial differences. So if you go back to the earliest rhetoric around right to work, it is an appeal to white workers to not join unions with black workers and saying, you do not have to be a part of the same organization as these black workers, except of course, <laughs> yeah. that's not the language that they used. <laughs> um, and, and, and I won't be using it language either, but, you know, understanding, you know, it might sound okay to say, Oh, I don't have to pay dues or whatever, but um, you know, right. Right. Right to work states consistently have lower union density. They consistently have lower median median wages. Um, you know, right to work is a conspiracy designed to pit workers against one another. Um, and there's a reason that uh, you know, while state legislatures will pass laws denying unions the right to uh, d uh, creating so-called right to work, as happened in Missouri, which is overwhelmingly these days a red state. But the legislature in Missouri, um, where Local 1 also exists, passed a right-to-work law, and the people of Missouri, Republicans, Democrats, Black, White, and Latino, repealed the law. So, you know, even there's a disconnect between what right-wing legislatures are pushing through and putting onto workers versus what workers of different political stripes actually want. So I think the working, working class um, or working class voters... I mean, as shown, um, reject anti-worker legislation, you know, and we have a kind of mangled democracy, which is why we get anti-worker legislation coming out of coming out of legislatures on a regular basis. And can I say something? Because it's titled right to work, people think that they actually want people to work. And I have to tell them because they said, well, right to work is for the people. I'm like, no, right to work is to get you fired. It doesn't want you to work. It doesn't have job security. It's for the company to get rid of you. The union is there to help you keep your job. But right to work lies because it's not the right to work. It's the right for the employee, employer, excuse me, to get rid of you for any little minute reason. Any reason. 
And that's what it is. And they said, oh, so that's what it is. I'm like, yes, that's basically what it is. Good thing you told us, Kathy, because I thought it meant that, hey, they helping you work because it's a right to work. I'm like, no, it's not. And, and I think that, you know, we just shouldn't talk around the issue of dues. Um, you know, union union dues are a good thing. It's how it's, it's, it's one way for workers to collectively build power. And so, you know, you'll see that um, despite... Uh, Supreme Court decision on on Janus to uh, allow public sector workers to uh, opt out. The public sector unions are going strong. I mean, like my wife's a teacher, uh, so she could opt out of dues. But you know, that's not that. It's it was an attempt to dismantle unions from the inside. But I think it is it is um, you know it, it creates additional challenges, but it is not enough to. To, to stop things from organizing, but we we shouldn't be scared of talking about dues. Dues are important, you know. Company, companies pay dues too. That's what the Chamber of Commerce is, right? They understand that pooling resources to build power is is worth it. Yeah, and I, I was surprised actually. I just learned our membership in our union went up after Janus uh, because I think people did recognize. Oh, I I don't want a free ride, and I am getting a benefit from this. But but you're right. There is a misconception, I think about dues and i don't know maybe it stems from you know bad behavior on the part of a couple unions back who know, about 40 50 years ago where they think dues go to i don't know lining somebody's pockets right but your explanation is like that this is democracy this is workers having a chance to have a say right in in their work environment so i guess this question is probably for Kathy how is union leadership selected? How is it chosen? And what rights do those that are represented by a union have? I mean, not just from the employer, but also from the union itself. Um, well, they ask who would like to be a union rep for wherever you work. I work at Metro. And like I said, the union steward that was there, she was going to Western campus. So I would go with her to meetings and she's like, well, you should become a union rep because, you know, you come to the meetings, you understand you was in the union before and blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. So I went and by me being in the other union and knowing that they really didn't fight for us and all they did was take our money and my union dues was way more than what we paid with SEIU and it didn't pay for anything or cover anything like SEIU. We had to pay medical premiums, pay into our retirement, our um, 401k. SEIU is more involved with the people and looking out for their future. And so it's more family oriented and it cares. Whereas big corporations and any corporation, all you are is a number. And so when something happens, you can be replaced because you're a number. But with the union, they try to help you and try to protect you. You know, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do, you go to work, you don't miss no days, you don't abuse your job, you don't talk bad to the employee or whatever, the union is there. It's there to fight for you. But 
they will still fight for you even if you make the mistake or do something dumb and stupid. <laughs> they will still fight for you. But, you know, you have to do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow the rules and regulations, not get in no trouble, not get no writers, not, you know, do anything that will cause the union to come to fight for you. But they're there because they need to be there. So Yeah, and I... I think I can answer a little bit too about this uh, structure part. You know, we do we do have elected officers. Um, we've got an executive committee. Um, we've got uh, a president, and we've got vice president. So, my director, you know, uh, you know, Sims is a vice president of the union. She's um, she's a, a director for Ohio, and we have members, rank and file members, who are vice presidents, and we have uh, uh, the executive board member for Cleveland is a. Uh, member uh, is a is a janitor at Cleveland Hopkins Airport. Our executive board member for Akron is a uh, food service worker at the Akron Public Schools. So um, that's that's our like officer structure. But I think Kathy's getting at a really important point, which is that the strength and, uh, of, of, of our union and um, the accountability of our leadership is really on the worksite level. And if we, you know, that's, that's where our democracy takes place because, you know, Kathy can't be an effective leader if she doesn't have the trust of her members. Right. And if, if me as staff um, doesn't develop relationships with and trust with our member leaders, then, then we cannot build a strong union. So that, I think that's how that accountability is built in. And, our job as organizers is to identify and develop that leadership so that we can build that robust democracy within our union. And then we believe that a, a strong and democratic union with empowered members and empowered leaders is the vehicle through which we can challenge the larger powers in society, whether it be hostile governments, uh, powerful corporations, you know, landed large property owners, that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we know that unless we have a strong and, and, and militant culture within our union that will that will challenge challenge leadership within the union, then we're not going to be able to challenge uh, leader, uh, challenge what we confront outside the union. So you're, you're speaking to this question a little bit, but unions are known for protecting worker rights, right? We completely understand that. But you just alluded to it, and I think Kathy mentioned it previously as well, right? So they also play a really important role um, in social and economic justice, like the, the fight for 15, right? How do you see the importance of unions when it comes to these, these bigger issues outside of the workplace um, and in broader kind of movement spaces? You know, that that's very job related, right? Well, let me back up. I guess I guess what we like to call ourselves, or what we like to believe that we are building with SCIU, is a social is social unionism, right? Where where exactly as you said, we exist we exist outside the workplace as well. And the reason for that is like our members exist outside of the workplace, right? Kathy doesn't stop being uh, uh, you know a person when she leaves the job, and also she doesn't stop who, being who she is when uh, outside the job when she comes into the job. So. I guess there's two things there. One is with the fight for 15 specifically, you know, we, we participate and have fought in that because, you know, we know that we've got to raise standards for, for all workers. But I think it's worth noting that the fight for 15 is not the fight for 15. It's fight for 15 and a union, 
Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we our our goal is to organize every worker in this country. I mean, that's that's what we need to be thinking about. That's how we need to look at it. Um, and you know, th- like we're still fighting to get to a fifteen dollar minimum wage because there's. Uh, nationally, and because there's a lot of people against us and against that, but frankly, the $15 an hour is kind of outdated. We started fighting. We started the fight for 15 in, in 2012, right? Uh-huh. And even then, it was you know this is not this this is not a huge amount of money. It's it's just kind of a a, a getting by wage. But you know we 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 know. Like if if the minimum wage were changed to fifteen tomorrow, that would that would leapfrog some of our contracts. Um, and I think sometimes unions look at that and say that that that's 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 dangerous or not good for the or for the organization. But you know we we see that kind of thing needs to be upward pressure on all of our contracts and all of our work. And so you know it makes it harder. It makes it it makes it easier to organize when it's harder to exploit other workers. When it's harder to pit groups of workers against one another. Um, so that's that's on the five for fifteen, but but the other thing is on 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 broader issues. So SEIU in Cleveland, for example, I would say um, like eighty to eighty five percent of our members are black, and if we're not confronting anti black racism on a structural level, we're not fighting for our members. And we're not organizing our members around one of the biggest, if not the biggest, issue that affects them. So, the, I guess if we're if we're not if we're not confronting police violence against black people, if and, and if we're not confronting environmental racism and redlining as it exists today, then we're not organizing workers as whole people. We're organizing workers as an idea at the job, and so we need to be fighting for fair housing. For where people live, we need to be fighting for safe and clean transit for people to get to and from work, and we even need to go further than that and fight for, you know, we say uh, the saying, you know, we want, we want our bread, but we want our roses too, right? Our our workers are whole people. We should be fighting for access to the beach, right? We should be fighting for uh, access to public pools, um, which Pools opened in the summer last year because it was safe to be outside in pools, but pools didn't open in Cleveland. And why is the answer? Why? I mean, the reality of why is because Cleveland is a majority minority city and it's easier to just neglect the needs and demands of working people, working class, working poor people and people of color. So, you know, our our union extends beyond the worksite because our members extend beyond the worksite into their communities. And we know that, you know, if what, what affects what affects a member um, in their community? What affects the communities of our members affects our members, and that's that's who we are, and that's what we're you know we have to fight for for our, something beyond what happens in the workplace. Now, I, I mean, unions have, I think, a history of kind of signaling a, a I'll say class divide, but I think that's actually just really a, I, I think the intention is a racial divide. How? Can we overcome this? I mean, is there something that those that are in other professions, uh, like let's say, right, university professors, that we can do that can kind of tear down that or uh, demand that that divide uh, is no longer uh, meaningful? 
I guess my question is, like, is is the answer to folks thinking of unions as, oh, well, that's just, you know, people that are uh, lower income or that that's just for like black workers is the answer to negating that is that just really all of uh, folks in all professions just need to organize and unionize. And if so, like what does that coalition between and across workers look like? You know, different, different industries have different racial dynamics, right? Like the construction industry is historically um, a relatively white industry. You know, I, I think academia is certainly a, a industry. And the lower wage and service sector is historically more of a my, minority industry, whether it's black folks here or uh, Guatemalan immigrants in Cincinnati. You know, uh, we're seeing actually uh, a lot of uh, Nepali immigrants entering our membership. I mean, to me, the answer is like organizing and educating, and you know, we're not we're not trying to ignore issues of race, right? We're not trying to organize workers around issues of race. We are organizing workers through issues of race, where we have we as an organization have a responsibility to confront racism um, in. Um, you know, in 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 the workforces that we organize, but we I think we 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 strongly believe, and I think it is and it is true that we are we unite through common struggle, right? And we we um, we, we beat bigotry through common struggle, and so that's you know I think there's no there's no simple answer, right? And and unions aren't the only piece of the puzzle, and um, defeating racism in this country by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that workers, workers in common struggle is a huge piece of it. Okay. So, my next question is for Kathy. Uh, Kathy, what keeps you motivated to keep doing this type of work? I'm motivated because I know the union is better than the one that I was in. <laughs> Plus. I guess I was middle class. My grandfather worked at the steel mill, so he had the, the union from the steel mill. And when we went to a rally at the steel mill, they said, once a steel mill union member, always a steel mill union member. So I didn't know. I didn't know that I had benefits under the steel mill workers union because my grandfather worked here until he retired. I didn't know that. So, you know. I believe in the unions. The unions are there to help the people and to provide security and to help people get from way down low to where they can be. That's and I, that's what I believe in. Like I said, SEIU they help us and they have they try to find stuff that will help us and to motivate us. And like I said, they trust me and they said, well, I need help with this, Kathy. Do you know anything? I'm like, I don't know. I'll try to find something. And then I guess me and Camila will be on the same wavelength. He's like, Kathy, the lady from um, whatever magazine, she wants to do an article on the union members about how they pay the warning bill or do they need assistance or whatever, whatever. So she came and she talked to us and we were in the article. The union tries to help its members survive. That's it. 
they see us as part of a family and I see them as both my job as my family and the union as my family. It coincides. It's no difference to me because I've seen the other union that didn't do anything. All they was worried about was money and they didn't do anything for us. It was just money to them. Whereas with SCIU, your family, they worry about you just like you are their family. So they want the best for you. That's, that's it in a nutshell. And I can't not fight for the union because I've always been in the union. And like I said, my grandparents, so I was always in the union. And my grandkids, they go to the union stuff too. They which helping with the voting thing and signing people up to vote. So my grandkids are active in the union and they know that a job is better with the union than without. Because it has job security. It helps with the job security. And that's, that's all I can say. So for both of you, and this is kind of the theme of this series that you guys are going to be featured in. So my question is, what is how do you define civic engagement? And is your activity with the union kind of uh, help you? Is that a form of civic engagement to you? Do you see it as a way of like paying back society or engaging with the communities that you're in? And would you say to others that that is, in fact, a way to kind of be an engaged uh, uh, populace? To me, the union helps me engage in in the community because like they have different things like signing people up to vote and you know they try to do things for the community where the members are so that helps all the communities because people live everywhere from down well not downtown but from the west side to the southwest side to the southeast side all over so everybody have to get to work some catch the bus some catch the rapids, some drive. So the the union is like the local point, the center, and then the, I guess the members is like the branches or whatever. So to me, it's all one big community. And like I said, they have different programs and organizations. Like one time we had where um, they gave clothes. They had they took clothes, and so they gave clothes to needy people that needed it to the organizations. Members came, they brought clothes, they took clothes, they gave clothes to the community. The the union is just there to help the community. That's all I can say. It's there as a backbone for everything that anybody needs. If the people that's in there really care about the people and not just in the union dudes. That's it. I love it. How about you? So I get. I mean, I um, I guess I d- define civic engagement as um, as building power, um, and and you know that's what that's that's what we are we are for, and you know we we believe in in social change through through the organized working class and and building power, and so an engaged populace to me looks like people recognizing their common interests. Um, and standing in solidarity with one another to demand, you know, the basic dignity and the basic rights that they have as human beings. You know, uh, uh, a right to, a right not just to survive, but to thrive. And so, you know, what that can 
that can be electoral, right? It can be, and we, we participate in elections on the very local level to the national level. Yeah, I think SEIU is probably pretty well known for for our, for our engagement in elections, but you know that's that's it's not that's not all of what civic engagement is, right? It is as Kathy was talking about our our, our clothing swap to build uh, build relationships between our members and 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 you know build that you know deeper connections within our communities, and that's that's where power comes from is from people developing relationships and building trust and then using that structure to challenge the structures that, that whether it be um, international capital or whether it be structural racism or whether it be massive overuse of fossil fuels that is threatening everyone, right? They're all, they're all ways, they're all, they're all things that we need to challenge, whether it be at the ballot box, in the job, in the street, you know, those, we, you know, we, we are, we know that we have that we have to fight, and we have to fight in every way that we have access to, and so that to me, I mean, civic engagement is about building power, and then knowing when and where and how to wield that power. And can I say one more thing? I forgot about the fifteen and the union, but people need unions too because they realize that without the union, the businesses and Whatever they have control of their life, they're not looking out to help anybody but their self. It's just their bottom line, and the union is for the people. The union have always been for the people, but it depends on the people in the committee to really become a bond and make it more broadcast for everybody to join. Yeah, and I mean, power ultimately is is zero sum. You know, either either capital has it or the workers have it, um, whether that's, you know, between you and your boss on the job or between the, you know, global workforce and international capital. And, um, you know, what, what you're doing is trying to shift that balance of power, you know, and obviously that's complicated when you get into international stuff, but, um, you know, we are, we are, in a, we are, we are in a connected world and we have to make global connections on that it. Well, I was going to ask you guys for words of wisdom, but I feel like those were the best words of wisdom. <laughs> best words of wisdom is 15 and a union. <laughs> 15 and a union. I love it. Like I said earlier, like the unionization is not the only answer, but people listening were to take one thing away from this. It doesn't matter what job you are doing. If you have a job, you're a worker and there you have you have interest in changing things at the job even if even if you like your job right so unless you're a boss you can form a union and you should form a union and that comes that's not something that just happens that's something that workers organize for you know we're seeing the most important union election in probably in my lifetime in Bessemer Alabama right now um, I don't know when this is going to air but you know that's that's that period of voting is so we may know the answer by the time this comes up, but you know, if the workers in Alabama at the Amazon plant win their union, that is going to send shockwaves through the country and through the economy, you know, probably beyond, beyond the borders of this country. And if the relentless anti-union campaign that has been going on 
from from changing the stop light timing so that workers can't talk to organizers to putting pamphlets in the bathrooms. If that if that prevails and, and those workers are not able to win this time, workers are resilient people and working class is resilient. We're going to get Amazon sooner or later. Workers are going to win unions at Amazon. I hope that the first one is in Bessemer. But, you know, if workers who work for the most powerful organization in the world, one of the most powerful organizations in the world, rivaling many governments in their ability to wield, wield power, can join and form a union and fight and win, then everybody else can too. You know, we, the, we, are, we are fighting to change the, the laws in this country to make it harder for companies to fight against unionization. Um, we're hoping to pass the PRO Act this year. But win or lose that battle, workers are going to continue fighting. And I guess if, if workers in Alabama can do it, Workers in Ohio and beyond can do it too, uh, and and you know that's every everything is possible. Um, we don't we don't have to we don't have to accept living the way that we live right now. But we know we know that that won't change without organized struggle. And Amazon is already paying fifteen dollars, so they can continue to pay fifteen dollars and have a union. How come other businesses can't do it? They made all the money from the pandemic. How come they can't give it back to the employees? Great question. I'd hate to be uh, Jeff Bezos right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'd be a billionaire. I guess that's it. Then I could just hand you all a billion dollars. <laughs> thank you both so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd Swan, and my co host, as always, is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is produced by David Yursa and edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio. Our podcast is supported by the American Political Science Association and our Patreon patrons. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the show, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, swag, featuring designs by Donuts and Coffee, head over to patreon.com forward slash growingdemocracyoh. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.